Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, May 27th. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier. And this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk COVID with the president of the State Health Association. Then ahead of Memorial Day, Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney reflects on his military service. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Workers at a downtown Starbucks in Birmingham voted to unionize yesterday. They're the first to do so in Alabama. As Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports, workers voted 27 to 1 in favor of a new union. Friends, family, and supporters waited outside the closed downtown Starbucks for news when the doors swung open. Barista Alex Buford says they're feeling relieved after the vote. I didn't agree with the management and how things were being handled, especially like racial issues. A lot of discrimination against our black partners and just mistreatment. Next up for this store, waiting one week to see if Starbucks challenges the election, then on to negotiating a first contract. This vote came after a first Starbucks union victory in Buffalo led to hundreds of stores across the country filing for their own union elections. Next weekend, workers at a Starbucks in uptown New Orleans will vote too. It will be the first in Louisiana. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. Kids ages 5 to 11 can now get a booster dose of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Jerry Weiland is a pediatrician in Vicksburg and the president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. She speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. This is kind of new territory. The, the testing goes on on how much protection you get, how long does it last, and the fact that we're not really completely out of this problem yet. So you know, what they found, just like with the adults and the adolescents, that the 5 to 11s are going to need a booster dose to get good protection. Now, do you have some protection from the first two? Yes. Do you have some protection if you did that and you had one of the variations of COVID? Yes, you have some natural um, protection. But what they're saying with testing is that they really feel that the best protection would be a booster dose. So I, we're, we're recommending it. Uh, we're kind of gearing up to we've let the ones know who have had the, their first two that 
that they're now eligible. We're going to gear up to do some of that um, and have it available. What do you think it's going to take to get people to come back into pediatricians' offices to get their booster doses? And what do you think we could do to begin to see more children get their first dose or second dose of the vaccine? Well, I don't really think it's going to be, in my, in my practice, I don't think there's going to be a big problem getting people in for the booster dose because if they were motivated enough to get their vaccine to begin with, most of them are going to come in. Some of them have underlying health issues. And that's very important is that we, if the, we have a child who has underlying health issues and they've been vaccinated, it's very important for them to get their booster. And that does not just include children who have compromised, you know, they're immunosuppressed or have a compromise in that system. It can be uh, children who have other underlying health issues such as asthma. We have diabetics who are children. Obesity is a problem in Mississippi, and we know those children are at more risk, just like the adults are. Uh, the other question is a little harder to answer. I, we've been offering it. I've been talking about it in my clinic. Um, I think people having their children start the vaccine is going to take them realizing that just like all our other vaccines, these are safe and that we wouldn't be recommending it if we didn't feel it would be beneficial. And beneficial means you don't get COVID, you don't get long COVID, you don't get COVID complications, and your child doesn't have the potential of ending up in the hospital. Now, there's one other thing I did want to mention, because this is really important for the adults, if I can talk about that just a minute. We're starting to see a little uptake, uptick, excuse me, in the number of cases. I had one today. I had one a couple of days ago. There is nothing available orally for children less than age 12. Um, however, the really good news is that over age 12 and for adults, even if you've been vaccinated, if you are positive for COVID, there is an oral agent that can help to keep you from getting bad disease, ending up in the hospital and that sort of thing. So, and I, you know, this is the information we're just trying to get out to the public. You know, there is something available orally. So don't just say, oh, I've got COVID, I'm going to go home. You know, if you are definitely, if you have any underlying health issues, if you're over age 65, you definitely need, even if whatever your vaccine status is, if you're positive, if you can take the oral agents, you need to take them. How can somebody get in contact with their doctor to find out if they can get those oral antivirals? Well, the oral antivirals are available. I, you know, I can even write it for anybody above age 12. I, I, I wrote it for a friend of mine a, a week ago because they recently moved to Mississippi and don't have a physician yet. So they just need to know that it's available because, again, sometimes providers are not quite aware how readily available it is. Um, there, you know, there are considerations you need your doctor to know, you know, to know that you're positive, whether you did a home test or whatever, and to know that you're having some symptoms, uh, because your doctor is going to know whether or not you have any underlying kidney problems, you have to adjust the dose, but it's out there, it's in every pharmacy, uh, like I said, I called into a pharmacy here in Mississippi, it was the first prescription they had had, but they had it, it was, they had it available, you know, I don't, I think, I also believe that there's no cost to the patient, except perhaps a dispensing fee. So we're talking less than $20, $10, if, if even that. Since we have started to see this small increase in cases recently, people might be asking, is it too late to get a vaccine? Um, what would be your it message to them? It is never too late to get a vaccine. It is never too late to get a vaccine. Never. Go get it.
looking forward, um, what would be your message to patients about, you know, trying to be prepared for potential rises in cases? Well, my biggest message is the same thing we've kind of talked about Kobe, for a while, like December 2020, when the vaccine became available. Vaccines save lives. Vaccines prevent disease. Vaccines prevent admissions to the hospital. And it's better than better than medicine. Medicine can be helpful, but you want your body to take the, the front line. You want your body to say, hey, this is something that's not supposed to be here and I can fight it off. And that's what vaccines do. Whether it's COVID vaccine, influenza vaccine, no matter what, that's what you that's what your body does. And that's where we still have the best results is if we are immunized against something that we know is is a bad disease. I know the big topic of the day is uh, getting those vaccine boosters for the 5 to 11-year-old age group. But Pfizer's also come out with a study that shows that their uh, vaccine is their vaccine booster is 80% effective for the younger age group of 6 months to 4 years old. You know, well, that's if- interesting. Yeah, I mean, of course, they're not approved for that yet. But um, influenza vaccine is available for children 6, six months and above. You know, I'm sure that Pfizer is going to work towards getting that kind of approval. And that would be great because this may turn into a flu-like illness that has that's become seasonal. We don't know what it's going to do yet, but but it may become seasonal. It may come with the flu. Uh, You know, thankfully, we can do the test where you here in my office where you do both flu and covid together because. I accidentally did a combo on somebody who was going on a cruise. Their COVID was negative, but their flu was positive. So we're even still seeing flu in, in Mississippi right now. Not a lot, but a little smattering of that, too, because it hasn't resumed its definite seasonal pattern. Looking into the coming weeks, children are going to be out of school, but they're going to be participating in summer sports, uh, activities outdoors, potentially. What are ways that parents can keep their children safe if we do continue to see this rise in cases? Well, again, five and above, please get your child vaccinated. Then you have less to worry about. I worry less if they're outside at a soccer, baseball, softball kind of thing. I'm not as concerned about that. Um, The cases we've had, of course, are related to either a daycare setting or a school. So they may do better being out in the wide open, you know, go out and play. You don't want to get around somebody who's obviously sick. You don't want to take your child or yourself out into public if you're sick. Stay home. If, even if it's not COVID, it could be flu. It could be any number of other things that you really don't need to pass along to your friends and relatives. But get out and enjoy enjoy the gnats and mosquitoes. <laughs> get, out and, get out and enjoy the great outdoors. Um, but get vaccinated. Have that protection. Dr. Jerry Weiland is president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Coming up, with Memorial Day around the corner, Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney reflects on his military service. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Memorial Day weekend begins tomorrow. What a better time to talk with Mike Cheney, who's Mississippi's insurance commissioner, as well as a veteran of the Vietnam War. 
Cheney tells Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane he was deployed in 1968 as a member of the 173rd Petroleum Company. Our unit took petroleum off of ships at Tanmi Island outside the old Imperial Capital Way. That's where the Tet Offensive occurred, most of the Tet Offensive. And we stored the fuel in a tank with the help of the Navy, and then we ran an invasion pipeline about 70 miles long from the old Imperial Capital Way up to Dong Ha. And our job was to secure the pipeline and, and operate the pumping stations and deliver whatever fuel was needed for the Allied forces, and that included jet fuel and gasoline, we call these MOGAS, and aviation fuel. And uh, the biggest job we had was securing the pipeline to be certain that it wasn't tapped into um, for people to steal the fuel. And we would often find that the VC had tapped into the pipelines with these little small screws and put a quarter-inch copper tubing in, and they would run it for a half mile or a mile away and store the fuel in 55-gallon drums. And you would have to go out and inspect the pipeline, and if you found a leak, then you had to trace it back to where the Viet Cong had had stored the fuel. And um, it it was an interesting uh, tier of duty. I was a petroleum distribution supervisor distributing fuel out into the uh, Allied forces. And in other words, they would call in late in the day, and we used SOPs and standard operating procedure and code words like diesel fuel may be called orange juice and a tank truck may be called a donkey had a flat tire, you might call it a, a donkey that needed shoeing, but we would deliver the fuel in these big, huge bladders to the Marines that had tanks, or if they were helicopters for a landing zone, we would fly them in with the help of other units like the 101st Airborne, which was right next to us, and deliver the fuel that way. And when we weren't on duty, we would often uh, work with the other units in the area just on patrols and so forth. Well, and I think this speaks to the fact that this was a difficult war. It was a costly war for the United States and was just really challenging to fight logistically. Well, on the logistical side, it was a challenge for us. Um, we we had to be certain that we could get the fuel delivered. In our case, we were a fuel outfit. And we had to be certain that it was clean, that if you were delivering aviation fuel or jet fuel, you didn't want a plane to crash because the fuel was contaminated. So it presented some unusual logistics for us uh, when we were out into the field. But in the same sense, those same people that we supplied fuel to would often give us cover if we came under fire, and uh, which often happened to us when we were out in landing zones. We would blow landing zones to put fuel bladders out for the troops. So the logistics were complicated just on the fuel side, but what went with that was trying to be certain that the troops were fed. Uh, the first few months we were there, actually the first month we were there, we ate sea uh, rations that actually came from World War II. So that, that should tell you a little bit about the logistical problem. We had no potable waters, and what water we had came out of the Perfume River. It was a dark brown, and to make it drinkable where we would actually drink it, uh, we put Kool-Aid in it, uh, and Kool-Aid would, would color it some, so you would drink the water. It wouldn't be b- dirty brown like you would think of drinking out straight out of a river, but it, it had been cleansed, and um, it, it presented unusual problems. But towards Thanksgiving, uh, we actually ended up getting milk. It was reconstituted coconut milk, and Sonny Montgomery came over and visited with us on Thanksgiving. actually came back 
for Christmas Eve and Christmas dinner with with our particular unit in Vietnam at Jolly Combat Base. So uh, we got some of the logistical problems solved, and our major logistical problem outside of food and fuel was trying to make certain we had the right amount of ammunition where it needed to be, which we often would do. We had flatbed trucks in our unit, and we we were the only unit crazy enough to go down to Da Nang and come back. And uh, the VC never really messed with us too much. Uh, occasionally they'd shoot at you, but not. They just didn't mess with our unit a lot. They marched a lot of mortars in on our. We lived in these tents and uh, on plywood frames, but um, they generally left us alone. They knew who we were, and they just didn't screw with us a lot. They screwed with the 101st Airborne, which is right next to us, and we had six bunkers that protected the perimeter next to there, 101st Airborne. So our logistical problem was to be certain we had ammunition and mortars and all the other things that we needed for our particular part of the perimeter that we had to protect. Uh, just an unusual deal, and, and we were a member of the first logistical unit while we were in Vietnam. Now, of course... While you were in Vietnam, the war was becoming increasingly unpopular back at home in the U.S. Is that something you were conscious of while you were in Vietnam? And I'm sure it's something you've thought about in the decades since you've returned. Well, the war was very, very controversial, even when uh, the guys in our unit went to Vietnam and became very controversial on 68 and 69. And for those of us that were there, um, I had a uh, my wife and I had a three-week-old child when I left, so I saw the child, my oldest child, who's over 50 today, and uh, it was uh, almost a year later before I saw him again. He looked at me like, who are you? <laughs> but it, it was unusual. And we came back, and we just kept a low profile. We didn't tell a lot of folks where we had been. Um, if they asked, we'd just said we have been serving in the military. Didn't particularly say that we'd been in Vietnam. It bothered a lot of guys uh, when they came back as to uh, what they'd seen. Um, it changed my life. I think I became a little more compassionate about human life and um, uh, understood the perils of war. It's just not something that you understand unless you've been there. And if you talk to people that have been in the Korean War, the even the Afghanistan War or World War II, they would tell you the same thing. Uh, it's not something that's pretty. It's not something you really talk a lot about. Um, and it will change your mind about uh, the price that we have to pay for our freedom. And a lot of people today just do not understand that. And they can argue that Vietnam was not about freedom in this country. Vietnam was a political war. But I, I will tell you, any war that you're in is political, uh, no matter where you are. And at all costs, we should try to avoid war. But today, we, we live in a society that just does not understand what it's like to be in a war. To um, uh, if, you, if you look at television and you see what's going on in Russia, between Russia and Ukraine, maybe you can get a glimpse of what war is really like. It's just indiscriminate, it's not pretty, and it's not good for humanity. This may be a reductive question, and I apologize if it is, but what does Memorial Day mean to you? Memorial Day means uh, basically that we remember those who have given their life and those who have fought for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. Uh, we only enjoy that from uh, one generation to another. And if we don't pass it down, people will forget. Memorial Day is important for everyone to understand in, this, in these United States 
that is a price that has been paid by many just for the freedom to say what you think, to have printed what someone wants to print, an opinion piece. It's just how fragile our democracy really is, and we need to remember that there are a lot of people that have gone before us that have given their life just for our ability to have those freedoms. Specifically with regard to Vietnam, I know there's been a lot of conversations over the past several decades about how uh, the Veterans Administration and the federal government has and has not supported veterans who have returned from war. In your capacity as insurance commissioner, what do you see as the real opportunities we have uh, the federal government and, and, and all kinds of government in its capacity to do right by veterans? Well, as insurance commissioner, I've always had the ability now to help veterans who could not get service. It's a lot better than it used to be. I'm a veteran. I'm well over 70. I've never had one visit with the VA, never one. I've been denied VA benefits, not that I need them, but uh, I understand the problem of people that need VA, Veterans Administration, benefits and can't get them. And I understand the red tape that they go through. So one of my goals as insurance commissioner is to be certain that we provide some access for the veterans that need access to, to VA benefits. And um, that's been it's, a, it's been a pleasing job because we've got a lot of new administration. We've got a congressional delegation that seems to help us a lot now in Mississippi. And we've kind of turned the corner from turning veterans away from VA help and, and tried to help them out. And that means a lot to me. That's a personal satisfaction. It has nothing to do with getting in the newspaper or politically being in the air and being praised for it. It has to do with doing the right thing to take care of the people that have potentially put their life on the line for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. Mike Cheney is Mississippi's insurance commissioner. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this or other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier. Join us Tuesday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition here on MPB Think Radio.